Welcome to another episode of Bees in Your Face, where I, Hunter Arias, sit down with my dad, Dr. Robert Arias, to ask him various psychological and philosophical questions that pertain directly to my life and I'm sure many other people's lives as well. Today we decided to talk about self-esteem. Self-esteem is one of the most widely reaching and applicable mental constructs that we find ourselves either constricted by or liberated from. And it dictates much of our decision-making in our daily lives. And since this is uh, our second episode that was recorded down in Marco Island, Florida over the holidays, I had uh, the privilege to speak with my uncle, Dr. Alberto Dominguez Bali, who is an OBGYN and sexologist in the Miami area. The man is quite a public figure himself, as he has his own radio show and television program all presented in Spanish. Uh, so without further ado, here is Dr. Robert Arias, Dr. Alberto Dominguez Bali, and little old me talking about self-esteem. Thank you for listening. Today I kind of wanted to talk about self-esteem. Um, and Dad, I know you're really big on definitions, so could you give us your definition of self-esteem? Well, uh, you and I had a talk in your room back in high school, and we talked about self-esteem. I don't know if you remember that. And I said, let's break it down. So we have the self and the esteem part, right? right, right. Um, the esteem part's the easy part. Um, uh, synonyms with, for that would be worth or respect, right? Mm -hmm. However much you give to that, a lot or a little or whatever. Um, and the self part is the, is the more interesting part of that. So what is the self? I ask people that in my office, not uncommonly, you know, so how do you think, what do you think of when you think of someone or the self? Uh, and almost nobody gives any really good answer to that. Um, I think the most, if you look in the dictionary, the uh, definition for the self would be typical for someone's behavior, like typical for their character or behavior. Right. Um, where, where do, what happens upstream from a behavior is a thought process, right? And so you impose your values into your, your values are in your thoughts and then they get manifested in a behavior. So I think that the, that the most useful way to think of the self is the aggregate or the, or the uh, collection of all of your values. Right, so it's, it's respect for your values for the most part. Right, um, and so if you think about it like that, if you don't spend any time thinking about what your values are explicitly, so if somebody said, hey, tell me about you, tell me about what, uh, uh, well, if you said that to, some, to somebody, most people would say, well, I, and they would describe roles that they play every day. Well, I'm a whatever at work, and I am married, I have children, I like to golf, I like to whatever. Um, but that tells you what they like to do, right? But it doesn't tell you really much about their values. You'd have to really make some extrapolations or inferences about their values um, uh, based on whatever it is that they do. So right. a more insightful response to that would be some initial listing of the most important values that you subscribe to, things like reciprocity, personal responsibility, honesty, respectfulness, right? I believe in those things, right? Those are my, those are like top values. Yeah. Do you think uh, living by your conscience is a good way to start respecting your own values more? Well, you think, think of your conscience as like your moral voice in your mind. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it talks to you and, and it's a judge in your brain that decides whether this is a um, the right thing to do or within the code, you know, that you live by. Um, so that's a good useful way to think about it probably is just a code that you live by. 
Cool. Um, did you, uh, this is a question for both of you, did either of you ever have a point where you didn't respect your values or didn't have very good self-esteem? And uh, how did it develop into that and how did you get out of it? So I guess we'll start with Alberto. Well, uh, self-esteem for me um, has um, what we could say a conscious way to develop that concept and an unconscious way to develop that concept that concept um, is something in which of course when we are adult we need to work on and and you understand as an adult what self-esteem means and the importance of that for your daily lives but uh, for me uh, with the background of a pediatrician, um, I know that it's extremely important. Uh, the first steps in the human life in which the person start to establish relationship with what has been called in, in psychology the first object. And the first object is mom. The first object is the teeth of my mom. The first object is the breast. Uh, the, the first object is the, the lactation, the, the contact, the skin-to-skin -skin contact. And that, there has been a real revolutionary uh, findings in the last uh, 15 years regarding how oxytocin, which is a hormone that always was linked with uh, contractions of the uterus and contraction of the cells that keep the milk inside the breast. So have to do with the expulsion, the, the secretion of the milk from the breast. Really those that were for us for many years, decades, the main function of oxytocin, really those are probably one of the less important functions of oxytocin and we are discovering now that oxytocin play an incredible role in the socialization of the human being and secondary to the socialization of the human being and the 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 hormone has been called i think that um in a wrong way has been called the love hormones because has to do with love, more than with love, with bonds, with the bond that you establish with other members of your species. And in that context, oxytocin play an incredible role, giving you the values that promote in the adulthood what we call self-esteem. And that is developed because we know now that through the skin-to-skin -skin contact or through the contact produced by the breastfeeding or through the function for the mom of the breastfeeding to breastfeed the child not only in the mother but also in the child the oxytocin is increased and that increase the emotional bond in both 
persons, mom and the child, and that gift with the time, and the time is more or less like one or two years, you start to see in the breastfeed baby, you start to see a higher development in the capacities of the child to establish relationship with the other human beings, uh, inclusively a greater, greater degree of attention, a greater degree of learning, a greater degree of um, physical abilities, manipulation, catching, touching, curiosity for knowing more. You can you can find in those babies that has been close to the mothers uh, breastfeed, um, for example, for two years. You can see that development over the development of the other children that has not been exposed to the contact skin to skin with mom and the breastfeed. So in that context, uh, there has been clearly demonstrated that children establish a better social relationship with other children early in life and with that that develop a sensation of security a sensation or of of control of control the, of the relationship and for me despite that i haven't read this directly but this is like a puzzle you start to read to have some pieces of the puzzle and the more pieces you put the more the imagine is coming and is clear for you how these biological uh, factors build what it will be your behavioral um, your behavioral life so for me it's important that unconscious no control is controlled by the human bond, but not by the child, not by the person. How those factors really develop the fundamental basis for the person to be able to establish many um, behavioral positive um, characteristics, um, which are to be able to socialize, to be able to love, to be able to establish nice relationships without too many factors that affect um, the behavior of the regular human being, uh, preconceptions or um, prejudices uh, regarding if he sing, if I do this, if I do that, or I, if I don't do this, uh, that disappear in that kind of people. and having that spontane spontaneity, um, having that a uh, social base, uh, secondary is easy that that kind of people have what we call a good self-esteem. It's part of the security with which you grow regarding social relationships and not only social but also intimate relationships. So for me, that, that part is important. Unfortunately, not many people knows about that. Not many people have done the connection. 
um, there are studies um, in two journals that really are a, a amazing, amazing. Um, one one is um, human behavior and hormones, and the others are um, I'm sorry. One is hormones and human behavior, and the other are evolution and human behavior. Those two journals um, are full of this kind of. Um, um, articles and investigation mainly done by neuropsychologists. Nice. <laughs> so to kind of summarize, um, oxytocin is a reward chemical that's released in your brain when it's, it's trying to promote something good. Am I right on that? Yes, and it's produced by the human contact. Okay. Inclusively has been demonstrated in adults. Yeah. For example, the, the couples that sleep naked together mm -hmm. produce a higher level of oxytocin and that made them to have better relationships. Huh, nice. <laughs> yeah, it's, okay, it's nice. So, so that's our first recommendation. Sleep <laughs> 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 naked with your significant other. Oh yes. Well, yeah. Skin to skin was a theory that came uh, in the area of neonatology initially um, and it was amazing the studies that were saying how a very premature, early premature baby to which you just for 15 minutes every day uh, touch the body for 15 minutes, those babies has 47% higher weight gain than the babies premature that didn't were touched. Is this Tiffany Fields? studies you remember Tiffany Fields from no. the University of Miami she talked she talked before me at a, at a conference that you put on oh, three yes. years ago yes yes yeah. you're right yeah because right. I did ne I did neonatology yes. research at Jackson Hospital exactly. for a few years on exactly. a team and her team was there yes. as well doing the touch research yes with infants yeah yes. interesting wow. that stuff. is what is called a skin-to-skin -skin contact and and inclusively that regarding weight gain in those children no? Yeah. but has been clearly established also in terms of behavior. So outside of um, interpersonal like romantic relationships, uh, you're saying a good way to improve your self-esteem overall would be to form more friendships, form, form more relationships with anybody in, just in your life. Well, really, really is not something that I think that you should push for is something that come um, naturally in those peoples that through their um, their um, development rearing yeah um, they were exposed by mainly the mother but also the people around no there are families in which you see how little babies are exposed to everybody and everybody um, um, lift the baby and the baby uh, is okay with everybody yeah. and there are other babies who has been only with the mother and uh, she really have not have a, a very close relationship because she work or because she she she's alone and she need to go to uh, to be outside uh, in those babies in which that bond has not been developed the baby di with difficulty feel okay in the hands of any person. 
Wow. But the baby who has been with the mama has developed that kind of bond, that kind of intimate relationship during especially the first two or three years of life. Those babies are very open. Those babies don't have any problem to establish relationship with anybody who take them and yeah. to leave them. No? And, and that, that is the part of the security you need to have for in the future to develop what you call self-esteem. We, okay. we, we see this in dogs and cats as well. Exactly, right? exactly. You can tell the dogs exactly. and cats that have been handled by lots of people when they were very, very little. Right. Um, and, w and they become much it's more exactly the better same socialized. Yeah. So say you were a neglected baby when you were younger, right? Mm -hmm. um, you're obviously going to have some trauma. That is, that is an, an incredible point. Go ahead. Um, what could you do to mitigate that? I, I've read about cognitive behavioral therapy. That seems like it might be a potential option. It, that question is specifically for him. Okay. But I have another point that I would like to talk regarding that. Yeah. Go, go. Say, I want to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> we had an epidemia two years ago and back of massacre, public massacres in the United States. Yeah. People that start to kill 20, 30 people in a church or, or in a concert, uh, 50, 60 people. And you say, what happened with this guy? Well, um, I, I, I talk about this in several interviews, but I don't think that that was important really to anybody. Uh, we were concerned who should carry a gun if uh, the student should have a gun, if the teacher should have a gun, if we should have more police in the, uh, in the, in the uh, schools and in the colleges, uh, all that kind of measurement. And um, for me, it was curious that nobody, especially in, this, in, uh, in the medical field, more than in the medical field, in the neuropsychological field in which this kind of knowledge is well known, nobody, went to the mass media and said, look, what we need is to be sure that we won't have children without moms, that we won't have children that could be alone uh, in, a, in a box or in a, in a little bed, uh, abandoned totally uh, without the care of a person. No? And if you look in the history of all those peoples that were the psychopathic guys who decide to start to kill others. If you look on that, those people didn't have a mother. They have a mother, of course, but the mother was absent. The mother was never with them. They never were breastfeed. They never were contact with contact with that person. Mom sometimes could be another person, but that protect the child in those moments of the early development. Uh, not only physical development, but also neurological development, and not only neurological and physical, but also uh, psychological and emotional development. In those moments, those guys never had that. And the final, the final consequence of the lack of production of oxytocin was a psychopathic life. Wow. The best proof that we have now, the best proof that we have now, knowing that, like uh, 15 or 10 years ago, was the use of oxytocin in sprays. 
for psychopathic people in the prisons. Oh my God. And they start the study and they start to give them oxytocin in the sprays. And the guy start to be so gentle with the others. Holy crap. <laughs> well, that is amazing. That is amazing. So nobody have been looking about that, about that connection. That is curious. It's curious. You need to look in the history, in the early development of those kind of what we have called psychopathic. And the common denominator in all of them is the lack of a loving mother, is the lack of a, a protection, is the lack of human warmth, is the lack of all these factors that I have been... And that should be the focus of the nation which means that will be the focus of the government. That will be the focus of the all the schools. And that will be the focus of every single human being that are going to have babies. Hey, you want to have a baby? You need first to take this course and to learn what is important that you do this and this and this and, yeah. and dedicate time for this and this and this. Otherwise, I think that uh, at the end, uh, the state will determine who can have babies or not and will give you the permission to have baby if you have passed that training. And with that, probably yeah. we will have less psychopathic people and less problems like those ones. Yeah, well, save, save the state stepping in and save having an oxytocin supplement and you're still a child who's been neglected for a long time. Let's go over to Dad. What, what should you do? Well, interesting show to do would be development of a psychopath, yeah. right? Um, yeah. In doing cases um, for on psychopaths uh, that I've done, criminal cases, um, there's, there is good research that's accepted on many factors that contribute to development of being a psychopath. And we are digressing to psychopath, but it's a, it's a wonderfully fascinating um, thing to discuss. Yeah. And he's, he's absolutely right. Those are central things and components in... Uh, that correlate well with development of psychopathy, right? Being a psychopath or a sociopath, a criminally minded person with no empathy uh, that may even enjoy exploiting other people, that sort of a thing. Um, it's a relatively small proportion of the population that's that way. Um, and it's two degrees as well, right? That's on a continuum of severity with that. Um, but it's super interesting. Um, because there are many things that contribute to that, both environmentally as well as genetically. Um, that contribute to all of that. Super, super interesting. But let's just take the non-sociopathic person, right? Right. Um, who who walks around with, um, you know, not not a great uh, self-awareness of, not a, a great awareness of themselves, uh, their values, you know, what they would respect about themselves. I've given so many patients homework. I want you to go home and spend this entire week thinking about what you, what your values are. Right, that drive your behaviors, just the main themes and things that you believe that, that uh, motivate you to behave in any particular way <clears throat> in your life, and then just make a list and come back and bring me that list. Almost everybody, well over 90% of those patients, I would guess, come back and they have no idea what, and they have a blank piece of paper, Yeah. Mm -hmm. right? So they're not uh, mindful or self-aware at all of <clears throat> any of those things they don't spend any time thinking about that in their lives, you know, and we just go through our lives sort of automatically doing all the things that we do and people are quote unquote busy um, and so they don't spend any time doing that. I think it's a super important um, 
exercise to do psychologically to become more self-aware, to introspect. Mindfulness. Yeah, mindfulness, to think about what it is that you think about, right? The old saying in psychology is we spend more time listening to ourselves than we do listening to anybody else. It pays to listen to what we tell ourselves, <clears throat> right? Mm -hmm. So the uh, question is, can we, can we change our self-esteem? Absolutely, we can, right? And I think um, just the exercise of uh, what I just described, going home and making that list of things that, that characterize you, right, that are part of your, your values that then manifest in behaviors, will improve someone's self-esteem because they'll realize that they're not as much garbage as they think that they might have been, <laughs> yeah. you know. Like they'd say, um, honesty? Well, no, I, I am actually honest. Some people might say, well, I, I lie sometimes, but for the most part I'm honest. I can probably improve on that, but it's not that bad, right? Yeah. Um, and, and I take responsibility for, like one of the best um, uh, compliments that your mom's ever given me. Um, one was it that I'm kind, right? I was like, wow, me, I'm kind. Wow, that's really, you know, I, I, it's nice to be thought of by somebody who you respect as kind, you yeah. know? Um, and so, like, good, nice. Um, well, that it, speaks to a lot of different things, you know? It, it does. That you're not vengeful. It means that you uh, care about the people around you. you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but uh, was that, oh, what was it now? I'm going to edit this out. What did she say? Oh, one of the best compliments that she's given me um, is that I take care of my business. She goes, you really take care of your responsibilities in your business. Um, meaning I have a value that I think about myself as having a value of personal responsibility. I'm, I'm responsible for the things that I accept responsibility for, right? Like my roles as, uh, as self-manager, of my, of my manager of myself uh, psychologically and physically uh, with, uh, with exercise and all of that stuff included. Um, as a role of a husband that I've chosen. This is a voluntary role that I choose to be as a partner to somebody um, and as a parent to you and your brother um, as the role that I play at work. Those are all things that I'm res I am responsible for those things, right? I'm responsible to all of the people in my life that I engage with, right, uh, mm -hmm. voluntarily. Um, and I take care of that business. So I, I think about that and I think, okay, yeah. So if you, if you look at yourself, at your values, and how you man they manifest, uh, you might find that you're not, not as bad as you thought you were, but you'll also find things probably that you can improve upon. Yeah. And you can say, okay, all right, let's be cheerleaders, right? Let's be people say that they're hard on themselves or critical of themselves. I'm a, I, I advocate for being critical of yourself, right? But in a constructive way, constructively sure, critical. Sure. You say, okay, what can we do better? Like, look, at the end of the, uh, like, I'm from Miami, okay? I hate the Patriots, uh, the New England Patriots. But they were a really good team for a long time. They che cheated, right? Um, mm -hmm. And we could spend an entire show on that. I would actually <laughs> love to talk about that. Um, but, <laughs> but, um, um but uh, at the end of every season that they would win the Super Bowl, they were looking for ways to improve, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Right? Um, so you want to be constructively critical of yourself, but your biggest cheerleader as well, and see ways that you can tweak things that were even, like, pretty good, but how can you make them the best ever, to become the best person that you could ever imagine becoming? Yeah. Self-esteem needs that. In order to build better self-esteem, you need the reinforce, the reinforce of that, which is what Robert has said regarding uh, his uh, wife. 
and why she reinforced her his self-esteem was she loved him and who produced the love that she has for him well many things produce the love that she has for him but one of the things is the oxytocin point no make her to love him and love you that person that not necessarily need to be the wife and inclusively not necessarily need to be the mother but it's a person who loves you and initially when they when they are not social bonds when they are not um, emotional bonds uh, there is the natural bond and the natural bond is the mom that just delivered the baby no and that bond at in all the species in all the species in the more aggressive one they protect the child they protect the baby no and that bond produce oxytocin and that oxytocin produce uh, attachment and that attachment make to love the other person and the expression of loving gives security to the other person so that is the point through which self-esteem increase and is reinforced when the person receives the reinforcement of you are doing great and Definitely. and i, I, I want to add to that right so the in improvement of self-esteem, self-respect, right, is the same process of improving respect and love that comes that pr that is produced from the respect, right? You have respect. You have observation of behavior. You have inference of the values that produce that behavior in the other person or in yourself. Then you have respect, and then you feel love, right? You have the oxyto yeah, oxytocin yeah. part of that. So in the same way that you fall in love with real love with somebody else, who you look at their behavior and you go, "Yes, I approve of that behavior." That the foundations of that of those behaviors collectively in this person are values that I come from values that I respect. So I love that person, and you can do the same thing with yourself. You look at yourself and the foundations of your behaviors in your values and you say no i love me right i absolutely approve of me the judge in my frontal lobe says yes that is a pass yeah. at least if not an a or an a plus right and we're always again looking to improve but that's how we fall in love with ourselves in a healthy way and we have that attachment with ourselves and it becomes i believe self-perpetuating yes just like it does exactly. with other people exactly. self-perpetuating positive reinforcement it's like the more sex you have, the more testosterone you produce. The more testosterone you produce, the more sex you have. So there is a circle in which you cannot get out. And it's a positive one. So that's recommendation number two. Oh, for yeah, this. all right. Sleep, Sleep naked, naked. Have a lot of sex. Have a lot of sex. Uh, yes. Okay, so from a layperson's perspective, it seems like self-esteem is contingent on what others think of you. Of what you think of yourself. Yes. Right. Not right. what others think of you. No. What you yeah, think about yourself. It's also contingent from my understanding of the of the situation. Of course, I, I could dig deeper into this, but it seems like it comes from your relationships with others. Well, right? it's, First and it, foremost. it's nice to have the positive reinforcement from other people and uh -huh. surround ourselves with those people. Right? right. But but there are so many people that, you know, the, the old saying is, if you never want to be criticized, don't say anything, don't do anything and don't be anything. Yeah, I love that. Mm -hmm. I love that saying. Yes. Yeah. So we're prepared, we're very secure, because we know if somebody says to me, you're a, a jerk, right? And people do say that to me sometimes. I'm like, I, 
I check myself. It's important to, to check yourself, right? Take your yeah. own inventory, as they say in AA and NA, right? And you say, have I been unkind? Have I been disrespectful? Have I been, uh, as, I, as I understand those concepts and, and my recollection of my behaviors, and if you say, no, I've been good. If you say, no, I haven't, then you apologize. You make an amends for that. But, but that capacity of analysis, that is the shield yeah, that, against the criticism. That's what takes work. That capacity of analysis is what gives him to have a self-esteem and to protect his own self-esteem. Thick skin. And, yeah. and that is what really um, is the valuable point of this. Because in the other extreme, the person who really has been criticized and instead to say, let me see what he, this guy said. He said that I am... Uh, uh, whatever, that I, I don't have any value, that, that is not true. I know that I do this, and like, like Robert said. Right. No? Well, the other one said, oh my goodness, he said this, and the other said that, and the other said that. So probably I am like that. That, that lack of chill, that lack of auto-evaluation, that lack of auto-valoration made the person to decrease or not to have self-esteem. Right, so by going through that checklist in your brain and counting all of your chickens and making sure that you're doing everything properly or, or analyzing a conversation like you just demonstrated, that'll probably make you have thicker skin the more you do that. Yes. Yeah? And another, po another important point regarding this, uh, this part that we are discussing now is that it's extremely important not only the first year of life since the point of view of biological and hormonal and all those things, it's also important. The intermediate years of life, which should be two years, three years, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine years old, when you are growing and you have the person who reinforce your positive things and who don't criticize you. I remember very clear uh, to have known a lot of mothers that have children, that being children, have to move and go from one chair to the other, to the sofa, and then go to the table. <laughs> and, and, and the mother said, what happened is that he's very nervous. And what happened is that he's very nervous. And she repeat on a daily basis that expression 10, 15 times. And you, you are a child, you are growing, and you heard the person that you love the most, and the person that you know that love you the most, saying the same thing over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. You ask those persons when they are 16, 17, 18, 19, uh, what happened with you? They say, no, what happened is that I am very nervous. Right. And, and they behave like that. It's like diagnosing somebody with something that is kind yes, of a, they, on the they are, they right? are uh, once, once you have, once you're pegged as having ADHD or autism or whatever it is, then you sort of are like, that's me now. Becomes your identity. It becomes your identity. I see yes. patients all the time. They come in and they say, I am, and fill in the blank with a diagnosis. <laughs> okay. Mm -hmm. Not I have. Right. Not I have been diagnosed with, right. but I am. Yeah. Right. Whenever I, actually in graduate school, there was somebody who taught us don't refer to people as schizophrenics, for example. Nice. Refer to them as someone who has been diagnosed with schizophrenia, right? When you think of who you are, if you say, and the most common one is bipolar disorder, they don't even say bipolar disorder, they just say, I am bipolar, right? And I always think that's who you think of as yourself. 
right? Yeah. That encompasses all of you as your mental health diagnosis. It's like you, you, you cling to it. Like right. that's your identity, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. And it's you like, use it as a shield from other yes, people or as yes. an excuse for your behavior. Yes. As you saw in high school, oh, yeah. the children that were diagnosed with that, it was just like their excuse to do all kinds of things. Right. So they, it's, it's the path of less resistance for them so they don't have to take responsibility for doing all the work that I'm talking about, that we're talking about doing today, of taking your own inventory and um, evaluating yourself and taking responsibility for all that. I would say that that's sort of along the lines of emotional reasoning. Like it should be taken into account when you're making your decisions, but it should not be the primary driver that's going to make your decisions for you. You know what I mean? Um, so anyway, uh, I have one last question for you before we take off because we're over 30 minutes now. Okay. But, um, uh, particularly for Alberto, you have talked multiple times about a time in your life when you only ate beans and rice for like 11 years or something like that. Uh, and in, in, my, in my own personal life, I've come to the conclusion that I need to do ambitious things like go to grad school and work on personal projects diligently in order to raise my self-esteem and have little wins here and there. Mm -hmm. um, so in that time when you were just dirt poor, uh, doing whatever it was you were doing, school, just doing school, what was it that kept you going that elevated your self-esteem in the long run? Well, I, I could say that for that time, I already have a self-esteem. And I realized that I had several um, defects, no defects, several uh, negative points that allow me to compete um, at the same level with other people. Um, for example, that was uh, the time in the transition. That, that happened in several moments of, of my life. When being a boy in a very rural and poor area in Cuba, I passed to a, a, a place in which there was people in the middle of a big city in a, a very important school with a student that has been in that kind of environment their entire life and to need to, to, to compete with them for my position to maintain uh, my position in that uh, level of, a, uh, of a study. And I remember to be reasonable regarding that, to be able to think, well, the problem is that I come from a lower level of a, uh, of a school in which definitely the the quality was not good so i need to overcome that i need to study and i remember <laughs> uh, i remember to have read and probably that was one of the most important determinants in my life for me to be a physician to have read a book about anatomy because we haven't seen anatomy in my rural town mm. but this guy already have seen it and I, I i didn't have any any clue about anatomy and physiology so uh, uh, the, the the teacher told me you need to read this and you need to know that so i start to read it and i remember that i spent like one or two months before to enter in classes and i i, I was great so it was a fight a conscious fight knowing that i have certain um how do you call certain lack of qualifications that you have to overcome. The same happened when I came to the United States regarding the, the English language. 
and and I I remember I, I it was like a, how do you call it deja vu of yeah. the situation yeah. that bugged me and I said well I I am I am um, disabled at this level but I need to overcome this so I need to study and I need to do this and I need to do that and part of the situation imply to be in a level in which um, the, the, the hospital in which uh, I received certain training was so poor that I, I ate for, for 11 years was in Cuba when the, under the communists and we didn't have enough food. Mm. But I was in a hospital to which I had to go to receive part of the training um, in which it was very poor and I remember to have uh, eating most of the uh, most of the time like uh, for a year only uh, beans and rice <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I I do it knowing that the situation will be temporary and I and I have to focus to overcome the lack of knowledge that I had in certain areas at that time was uh, the English knowledge, no? So I remember to have developed certain tools to make me to learn more, no? But the best tool that I have had in my life has been your aunt, who has <laughs> me teaching me how to speak English better. Uh, so, uh, it's the way, it's the way you confront the, the problems. That is that, and the way you confront the, the problem, not to let the problem to dominate you and to look for ways to resolve the limitation that is what you learn that is what is self-esteem that is to have confidence in yourself and to overcome the problem so i would like to do a show at some point on internal locus of control because yeah. i mean that's really that is like i have the power to effect the change to make whatever happen happen i think that the outcomes in my life will largely be determined by all of the choices that I make. And that if I study and learn and make the right choices that I can, and then you paint whatever positive, wonderful, ridiculously huge outcomes that you want to have happen in your life, and that creates a positive uh, uh, focus and not just an avoidance space. And I'd like to do a show once on avoidance versus approach yeah. as a basic motivation for what we do. Um, but yeah, then we can find, have a really wonderful goal that we look look toward and that will sustain us when times are thin. Wonderful. Well, here's to dispelling helplessness. Nice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> own it. To, own it. Yeah. yeah, own it straight up. Um, did you have anything you wanted to plug? Um, anything that you're doing that when, you want when, to When you are about? talking, pass in front of me so many things that I would like to talk. What we need <laughs> is to repeat this experience with yeah. other subjects. Nice. Absolutely. <laughs> we can do it tomorrow, you know. Okay, let's do it yes. tomorrow. Yeah, All right, let's sure. do it tomorrow. Cool. Nice. Thank you. Thank you. And that is yet another episode of Bees in Your Face in the Can. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this content, please head over to our Instagram page, also just called Bees in Your Face, uh, for periodical updates on guests and our general well-being. We also have a brand new Patreon page, like every other content creator on the internet, where we will be posting extra conversations and cool stuff that is yet undisclosed. So please go over there, check that out, see what we've got to share with you. 
Uh, and also, shameless plug, if you are in the Lincoln, Nebraska area and are interested in recording uh, digital or analog, I have a little studio where we record each of our podcast episodes. Uh, it's called Shallot Records. Go to our Instagram page, backslash Shallot Records, and check that out as well. Thanks again for listening. This has been episode four of Bees in Your Face. <laughs>